0: Entering the Freedom Hut.
1: It's official, my friends. President Trump has launched his 2020 re-election campaign. We'll talk about the big themes, the important moments, and also hearings on Capitol Hill today about reparations. What is the argument for and against? We'll tackle that. And the immigration debate gets heated as Ocasio-Cortez and company double down, triple down on their concentration camp lunacy. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. Buck Sexton.
0: Mission. Decoding the
1: news. And disseminating information. With actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD.
0: Like I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. We're going to keep it better than ever before. And that is why tonight I stand before you to officially launch my campaign for a second term as President of the
1: United States. Thank you. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. It was quite a night last night with the official launch of the Trump campaign 2020. Um, It was a reminder that he is the greatest most talented public performer and campaigner of my lifetime i mean i can't maybe reagan but i was very very young when reagan was doing his thing um but i've never seen any i don't think anyone's ever seen anything like what trump pulls together on that stage night after night on the campaign trail and the energy and the the enthusiasm my only regret is that i wasn't there for it but i will be sure in this election cycle to try to get there and see some of the uh, the MAGA squad in action. Um, the president is going to be in very good shape, I think, going into this re-election, despite the fact that, wow, the media has learned nothing about any of this. They have not changed one bit. The mainstream media view this not as an effort to, meaning the 2020 election campaign, and this was clear from the way they did their commentary afterwards, their intention is not to make any changes or amend their behavior in response to the debacle of what they showed us their true colors were in 2016. But to view Trump's reelection effort as the mainstream media's second attempt, their second chance at defeating Trump and reasserting or reestablishing the dominance that they have in the creation of political narratives in this country. Essentially, they're back in power. That's what they think. If they can just defeat Trump, then they are the kingmakers again. There'll be a Democrat administration that they'll be super cozy with. Super cozy with, whether it's Sanders or Buttigieg or Biden or Warren or you name it. They'll, the, the mainstream media will be will be snuggling up to whomever the Democrat is while simultaneously telling us, oh, we're just holding their feet to the fire, speaking truth to power. They won't be holding the Democrats' feet to the fire. They'll be massaging the Democrats' feet. We know this. That's what they did with Obama for eight years. It was an embarrassment. That's what they plan to do again. So they haven't learned anything. They have, If anything, they're actually more ferocious in their partisanship. They will be more ferocious this time around. So worth establishing that right away. Um, but it's also so reassuring that the president really he knows his he knows this opposition he knows this enemy he knows what he's up against and that's why i appreciate so much that he doesn't hold back he throws punches we voted for a puncher to be president and man does he show up like mike tyson in his prime and just throw those haymakers play clip seven
0: the democrats don't care about russia they only care about their own political power They went after my family, my business, my finances, my employees, almost everyone that I've ever known or worked with But they are really going after you. That's what it's all about. Not about us. It's about you. Our radical Democrat opponents are driven by hatred, prejudice, and rage. They want to destroy you. And they want to destroy our country as we know it.
1: Not acceptable. It's not going to happen. That's who we're up against. We're up against a Democrat machine. Desperately wants to be back in power that has no compunction, no hesitation whatsoever about trying to destroy those who disagree with them. We're up against a Democrat machine that wants the president still to be ruined, to be thrown in prison, wants his associates, his family members to be thrown in prison, has no sympathy, uh, no feelings of of remorse when they destroy somebody who is a Trump supporter as an example to set for all the rest. They cheer as Manafort sits in solitary confinement as though he's an axe murderer and not a simple tax cheat who has been made an example of because of his Trump ties, not because of what he did to the United States Treasury Department. You know, that's one of the really unsettling realizations that I've come to, is that I never hear libs, and I know a lot of them, and I talk to them and and uh, there's a lot of libs in media that i am in contact with i never hear libs feeling sorry for anyone on the right who is a casualty of trump derangement syndrome they express no sense of remorse no common decency uh they have no they have no hesitation They, they have no problem with what happens to Kavanaugh, what happens to the Covington kids, what happens to just people that are not even necessarily in Trump's inner circle, but who are generally associated with the right, and in this era of Trump, if you are on the right, you are tied to Trump. And they don't even privately express to me their feelings of uh, unease with what happens. I have had libs... I've had libs in media tell me that they didn't even have a problem with the uh, shouting down and shaming of Trump administration figures at restaurants and in public, that that was a, a necessary corrective to the excesses of the Trump administration, that they don't feel badly for Tucker Carlson's family when a bunch of lunatic protesters showed up outside their home in the middle of the night and started screaming and yelling over megaphones at them. Tucker wasn't even there. They don't feel badly about it. These people are sick. They've got a problem. And this is where wartime conservative mentality kicks in. I don't want to make deals with them. I don't want to try to reach an accommodation with those who are so bereft of honor and decency that they can't understand what is truly beyond the pale. All right. The Trump Tower meeting is not truly beyond the pale showing up at someone's home because you don't like what they say on TV and creating a menacing environment for their wife and small children. That's beyond the pale. Having a bunch of obviously deranged liars show up and claim that a world class legal intellect and a family man of decades who's promoted women all his life, like Judge Kavanaugh, was actually some kind of secret rapist to smirk and smile behind closed doors as I have seen them do and suggest that even if that was playing dirty and unfair, it was worth it. Those are the libs that we're up against now. That's the mentality. That's who they are. And so what do we want in response to that? Do Do you want somebody who takes the romney-esque mccain-like approach of how how do i try to meet them in the middle somehow maybe i'll get one nice thing said about me on the new york times editorial page for one day or do you say let's mount up let's fight let's see what we got last night was a reminder that trump is the latter trump is the fighter and he is not going to let the libs off easy for what they've done for the last two years because it has been a disgrace. There are a lot of areas of public policy and public life where I, uh, I not only am OK with it, I mean, I, I welcome good faith discussion and debate. I do think there are problems with the, the way that some aspects of our economic system are currently structured so that, you know, the carried interest loophole is one thing that comes to mind for hedge fund managers. I mean, this is just a carve out to help really rich people get even richer. There are things out there that are real that are problems. You know, how, how do we, why didn't we cover preexisting conditions before? How do we best do this? There are real discussions to be had. But I, I refuse to be pulled into a discussion with the left over the price of my most basic freedoms and the American society that all of us have enjoyed up to this point in our lives, because that's not negotiable. It's not negotiable. I don't want to live in a country where people, activists, can seek me out and then force me, force me to defile my own deeply held religious or political beliefs on pain of public ridicule, economic destruction, perhaps even imprisonment. I don't want to live in that country. And the moderate, oh, let's find a way to get along, Republican Party, they had their chance. They had their chance and we got stomped on for eight years of, of Obama and we had the gleeful, self-indulgent, self-loving media running rampant without anybody really other than some conservative media personalities and outlets fighting back against them. You know, who was the great Republican defender during all those years? Who was really taking? Yeah, I know people here and there showed up and, you know, Ted Cruz would say something smart now and again and we'd say, well, at least Ted's smart. But who was really taking the fight Then The answer is nobody. Not effectively. Not like Trump can. Not like Trump does. And that's why last night was so important. And also super entertaining. Like when he says that Joe Biden is just not impressive. Because it's true. It's funny and it's important because it's true. Play 10.
0: To support crazy Bernie Sanders' socialist government takeover of healthcare. He seems not to be doing too well lately. Remember the statement from the previous administration? You'd need a magic wand to bring back manufacturing. Well, we'll tell Sleepy Joe that we found the magic wand.
1: We found the magic wand, my friends. You know, the truth is the magic wand is Trump. And let's hope that it's enough to get us through to four more years. I, I think that it will be uh, some more important points from. Uh, from the speech last night I wanted to dive into. And then we'll, we'll move on. I, I, I know you've had a chance today to digest. A lot of A lot of you probably watched it already. And so we're not going to spend too much of the show on this. We've got immigration fights to get into. Uh, a really interesting piece on flight MH370, that Malaysia Airlines flight that disappeared five years ago. I'll talk to you about that. A, an African-American gun rights and really freedom rights advocate in Philadelphia is going to join us later on the show. Um, Madge Touré, really interesting guy. I think you'll want to hear from him. Uh, and how he's trying to educate the black community in particular and especially in urban areas about the Second Amendment and how it is it is the, the right of of all Americans and, it's, and, and all black Americans to be able to defend themselves and enjoy their Second Amendment rights and not to believe the left-wing nonsense about gun ownership. Uh, we've got a lot. Of, oh, and, and the, we also have a discussion coming up about slavery reparations because there was a Capitol Hill hearing today about this. We'll get, uh, we'll get into that. And the short version is the bad idea. The long version is we're going to have to keep talking about it because Democrats are using this as a, as a way to, to get the base all riled up, the left-wing base, so that means we can't entirely ignore it. And we have a jam-packed show, as we always do, so uh, stay right there.
0: And as we fight to make life better for all Americans... The Democrat Party has become more radical, more dangerous, and more unhinged than at any point in the modern history of our country.
1: Does anybody really disagree with that, who's paying attention, who knows anything, and who's honest? The Democratic Party has gotten more radical. That's just just a fact. The Democratic Party has moved further to the left. Again, a fact. Democrats now embrace positions that 10 years ago, 5 years ago a majority of their party would have said, well hold on a second, that that seems maybe a bit, that seems a bit extreme. Not extreme anymore, not in the era of AOC and Tlaib and you know, Pelosi is just all about power. So you have to remember this, Pelosi isn't really a, a, a governor, a uh, a a speed bump on the radical left. First of all, she's she's a progressive herself she's not but she's not radical in the sense that she wants to continue things as they are insofar as they benefit her her power her prestige and you know that's that's the first consideration nancy pelosi has what does this mean for nancy pelosi And so that's why she doesn't want to upend the system quite yet because she's third in line for the presidency and she likes things how they are It's the younger lefty Democrats in the Congress that are the real they're they're the real Castro wannabes, as in Fidel, not the guy who's running for president. Sorry, (laughs) got to got to specify that one. Uh, But this point about the radical radical nature of the Democratic Party, this is going to be very important for Trump to hit on repeatedly because the Democrats right now they're showing us who they are because they they have to because the base wants this oh, Trump's going to go to prison and we have to impeach him and all this stuff that they say. The base wants this. But when it comes time for the general election, you're going to have, here's my prediction, you're either going to have Biden running as the, oh, yeah, I'm just, you know, just a guy, man, who, like, wants to just bring us back to the way things were and it'll be great like the Obama years all over again. Or if you have Bernie Sanders, they'll say, no, no, I'm a cuddly socialist. I'm like a teddy bear socialist. Not one of those scary ones who wants to take all your stuff, give it to other people and run the economy in the ground. No, I just I'm just a free stuff socialist. Which isn't real, but that's what they will offer. That's the way they'll go. So very important to hit the radical nature of the Democratic Party, which uh, is is the truth. And then there's the other part of this as well, which is the disparate system of not just justice, but the the two sets of rules that we are always being forced to operate when it comes to Democrats and Republicans, whether it is the justice system or just public perception through the media. Here's what he said about, for example, Hillary's emails. Play
2: eight.
0: Let's compare how they came after us for three years versus the free pass they gave to Hillary and her aides after they set up an illegal server and acid-washed 33,000 emails. If I got a subpoena for emails, if I deleted one email like a love note to Melania, it's the electric chair for Trump.
1: Does anybody really deny that at this point, that the way that the media, the bureaucracy, the establishment treats Trump and the Republicans is different from how they treat Democrats? Does anyone really think that that's a, a a particularly contentious point? I mean, the, the, the way that the laws were swept aside and law enforcement at the highest level was told to stand down to pave the way for Queen Hillary. Hello? And what happened? The way that the law was then just 180 degrees, you know, switched around and weaponized and used to try to stop Trump from becoming president, and then to end his presidency is the most breathtaking, absurd, and frightening political scandal in this country of my lifetime. And the so-called journos skip this thing entirely. It's pretty stunning when you think about it, isn't it? Uh, let's have a little talk about the reparations hearings today, shall we? They happened on Capitol Hill. I, ha- I have thoughts. Many of them. It's coming up.
0: He's holding the line for America.
2: Buck Sexton is back. 31% of black children live in poverty compared to 11% of white children. The natural average is 18%, which suggests the percentage of black children living in poverty is more than 150%. The institution of slavery and subsequent discrimination directed against blacks is an injustice that must be formally acknowledged and addressed. I just simply ask, why not? And why not now? If not all of us, then who? God bless us as we pursue the final justice for those who lived in slavery for 250 years in the United States of America.
1: So that's about reparations. There's a big hearing on Capitol Hill today. Got a lot of attention, and some uh, some important questions are raised. Here's the my 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 quick reaction to this: Is how can you achieve justice for acts committed against people um, who are no longer living at all, anywhere, and that were committed by people who are no longer living? How could you? Adjudicate that without doing major damage to your uh, legal system and to the undergirding moral values of your society. No one seems to have any good answers for that. There was some very interesting stuff said today. Uh, Coleman Hughes of of Quillette uh, said some things. I mean, Quillette's that what do you call it? A it's it's a almost a, a contrarian. Ideas magazine or just a, a a magazine that's intellectually rigorous but unbounded by the dictates of political correctness. We've had Andy No on before, who writes for Quillette, does some very interesting stuff on Antifa for them. Uh, Christina Hoff Summers, I believe, is is associated with Quillette. She's a, a, a woman who's a, an academic who is not kowtowing to feminism all the time. Uh, but here's what Coleman Hughes had to say about reparations today and whether this is a good idea play 20
3: the question is not what america owes me by virtue of my ancestry the question is what all americans owe each other by virtue of being citizens of the same nation and the obligation of citizenship is not transactional it's not contingent on ancestry it never expires and it can't be paid off for all these reasons bill hr 40 is a moral and political mistake thank you Thank you, Mr. Hughes. Chill, oh, look, chill, look chill, him. chill. He was presumptive,
1: but he still has a right to speak. Oh, look at the Democrat there, Cohen coming at the end. He still has a right. He's, he was presumptive, but he has a right to speak. He's, yeah, sure. There's you know the people booing in the hearing room, booing. What, what, what did he say that that was so bad? What was so incorrect that he should be booed? People are just so childish. Mike, you got something?
3: Yeah, I was gonna say Cohen's the clown that brought the chicken. Remember him a couple of oh, ago? Oh, that's right.
1: Yeah, he decided to chime in. Oh my gosh! I mean, I interviewed that guy. I mean, he kind of has like a little bit of like this kind of crazy, like Southern thing, but he's kind of just yelling all over the place, and he's just you know crazy. Uh, uh, that guy Cohen is—he's off the wall sometimes. Oh wait, we got more Coleman Hughes though. I liked it. I liked what this guy had to say. Play
3: twenty-one. In two thousand eight, the House of Representatives formally apologized for slavery and Jim Crow. In two thousand nine, the Senate did the same. Black people don't need another apology. We need safer neighborhoods and better schools. We need a less punitive criminal justice system. We need affordable health care. And none of these things can be achieved through reparations for slavery. If we were to pay reparations today, we would only divide the country further making it harder to build the political coalitions required to solve the problems facing black people today. We would insult many black Americans by putting a price on the suffering of their ancestors.
1: What would that price be? Let's assume for a moment, and it's, it is an assumption we should not make, but just for the sake of argument, that the American people are united in the idea of reparations, whereas in reality, over 60% of Americans oppose reparations. So this is a, there's a clear majority that are not in favor of this. What's enough? What's enough reparations? A billion? No, of course not. 10 billion? Getting closer. 50 billion? Well, that seems like a lot of money. 100 billion? A trillion? You know, you just you work your way up. When does it stop? How can you put a price on the centuries of enslavement and the suffering and the murder and the? Well, the truth is, you can never put a price on that. And how could any society really put a price on that? All right, but let's assume that we figured out what the price is. Who gets the money? Where does it go? How is this? What is the mechanism for? Uh, dealing with this pain and bringing us into a new future? Oh, let me guess. Is it to give a whole bunch of money to left-wing organizations that agitate for certain public policies and create essentially a, a progressive left slush fund, which will be, I'm sure, staffed by many, many, many white liberals who will feel very, very virtuous for working at some institution that has something to do with you know, or has received some money from, from reparations in order to, to right the wrongs of the past. But is, is slavery really the, the only wrong of the past that we are to right? Where does this stop and start? How much further does it go? I, I, I would bring you to an essay written by uh, Kevin Williamson, whom is a little more quiet these days than he used to be. Uh, he wrote on reparations back in 2014, and here's what he, here's what he had to say. Quote, the political interests of African-Americans, like those of other Americans, are best served by equality under the law. The economic interests of African-Americans, like those of other Americans, are best served by a dynamic and growing economy, preferably one in which the labor force is liberated from the dysfunctional, antique Prussian model of education that contributes so much to black poverty. The people to whom reparations are owed are long dead our duty is to the living and to generations yet to come and their interests are best served by liberty and prosperity, not by moral theater. End quote. I think that's exactly right. That's what this turns into, folks. That's what this really is, moral theater. This is an opportunity, especially for white liberals, to show how Morally superior they are to those who don't support this idea. That's really what this all comes down to. It's, it's all for show. It goes nowhere. But that's what so much of the Democratic Party is these days, just for show. It's a branding exercise for people who can't tell the difference between politics and their own personal virtue. I don't think this is going to go any further, but we'll see. Democrats are more tenacious on this than they've been in a while. We've got much more coming. Stay with me.
0: Nancy Pelosi says walls are immoral. Secretary Clinton said she wants a borderless hemisphere. Earl Blumenauer said abolish ICE. And Stacey Abrams, who gave the response to the president's State of the Union speech, says she's OK with non-citizens voting while the crisis goes on.
1: The Democrats are radicals on immigration. That's not a surprise. I was talking on Tucker show last night about this very issue. Now uh, this is one of the areas of of greatest radicalism you see on the left. Although they're now just open about how little they care for the lives of unborn children. I mean they don't even they don't even pretend that it's a it's a moral question for them anymore. They're just completely fine with the uh, eradication of of tiny babies in the womb. Uh, but on, on immigration, increasingly they have just turned to either lies or obfuscation. They never. They never really grapple with the facts as they are. And here's a, a, perfect, a perfect example of it. So Sola, Soledad O'Brien, who is... Uh, one I don't know where she works now. Where does Soledad O'Brien work now? She used to be at CNN and had the worst morning show, perhaps, in the history of cable news. I mean, it was, it was a terrible... She was a shrill, nasty, dogmatic lib... Who brought nothing to the conversation other than being exactly that—the shrill, dogmatic, nasty lib—who you know wants to lecture people about racism and you know all that stuff. Like, great, you know that's that's exactly what America wants first thing in the morning. Uh, I, 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 my former colleague Will Kane at the Blaze was a a panelist. Uh, on Soledad O'Brien's show, and that was one of the hardest jobs, I think, that any conservative has ever had in media, I will tell you that, uh, to sit there and be browbeaten by uh, Soledad, uh, the the great ignoramus O'Brien, on a regular basis would... You'd, I'm not saying there's no amount of money you could pay me to do that. It would be a lot of money, a lot of money, like like Rush Limbaugh kind of money. Like <laughs> It would have to be like like LeBron James kind of money. It would to be a lot of money for me to... Okay, maybe not that kind of money. It would just be like, you know, I don't know, CNN morning anchor money. Um, but just kidding, I would never. But Dan Crenshaw tweeted out uh, the following, and this just gives you a sense of, you know, how the, the intellectual heft of our side versus the intellectual uh, deficit on the other side. Crenshaw, in response to Ocasio-Cortez writing the following, for the shrieking Republicans who don't know the difference, Concentration camps are not the same as death camps. Concentration camps are considered by many experts as the uh, mass detention of civilians without trial, and that's what this administration is doing. Um, she's she's just lying about what she was saying. I mean, we all know she said never again. This is not this is not up for debate. This is not hard. But in response to that, Dan Crenshaw, former Navy SEAL, current member of Congress out of Texas, said clearly, I need to explain that in concentration camps. People are un- are unjustly sought out and confined. This isn't what is happening at the border. Migrants are illegally crossing our border. Most are asylum seekers, thus pending trial, so your expert definition doesn't apply. Correct. Dan Crenshaw is correct. They are coming to us, and they are breaking the law. We aren't going to honduras or, uh, or or guatemala and scooping them up they're coming here and they're breaking our laws now this is where it gets even more interesting because soledad o'brien chimes in on twitter to say this about dan crenshaw this is a good indication that this congressman doesn't realize that it is not illegal to cross the border in search of asylum in america He should also speak to a historian about the historical roots of concentration camps because he's wrong on that, too. Okay, let's just dispense with the second one first, shall we? She was referring to Nazi concentration camps. That's why she said never again in the same soundbite. This is this is not hard. All right. Let's we're not rewriting history here, folks. We all know exactly what she was talking about. And you have some libs, and we'll talk about this later on in the show, who are straight up saying, no, 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 yeah, it is like the Nazi concentration camps, or, or we're getting close to it at least. But Soledad on the first point, and I, we shouldn't expect any more from him. Remember, this was somebody who, at one point, CNN was paying seven figures to go on TV and just be a little lib talking head with the usual dogmatic lib talking points. Never, n- never insightful, never gracious, just shrill, nasty. I'll tell you, I actually saw the day that she got fired from CNN, I was a contributor and I was walking in the lobby as she was, I kid you not storming out with her like box with her things and her little assistant sort of, you know, hurriedly traipsing behind her. And she had the scowl of all scowls on her face. Uh, You know, usually I'm very simple. I mean, anybody who, but I mean, she's a multimillionaire. She's married to a super rich guy. You know, it's a job that somebody else actually needs and would do well. So, you know, she'll be fine. Um, But I decided to chime in with Ms. O'Brien here because she's wrong. And that was what I tweeted to her. Wrong, Soledad. It is, in fact, illegal to cross the border outside a port of entry, even if seeking asylum. That's what about 90% of these migrants are doing. They are breaking the law. And then when they don't show up for their asylum hearing, they are breaking the law again. And then we get this from Soledad. Oh, she wants to dig a note. She skips past that because I'm just right. She's just wrong. I'm right. Isn't that fun? Uh, it, it's illegal to cross the border. Even if you're then going to claim asylum, you can't just cross the border outside a port of entry. That's, that, is a, that is a crime unto itself. And so every migrant who shows up outside a port of entry walks across, and I've seen them doing this, walks across the border and says, I want to claim asylum, has committed a crime. Every single one of them. Okay. She responds, though, she doesn't even touch on that issue. She responds, estimates, this is Soledad O'Brien, Estimates from an asylum judge in Virginia, 90 to 95% show up for their hearing. This is the process to being assessed and applying for asylum. Again, wrong. <laughs> so I responded to her wrong. Oh, man. Um, that's nice. Wrong again. The Department of Homeland Security disagrees with the random judge that you pick to bolster the narrative you prefer. Soledad. 90% of these asylum seekers so far have missed their court dates. And then I give her a nice little link to testimony from DHS Secretary McAleen to that issue. So, I mean, I'm right. She's wrong. She's not. But she has a preferred narrative, right? She, she wants her audience to constantly know,
2: I love the
1: illegals. I mean, she lives in a, I would guess, I'm just going to put this out there. I don't know. But I, I'm guessing she lives in a 3 to $5 million apartment in New York City. That's right. I, I know these people. I know I know what they're like. I know who they are. And she lives in probably a 3 to $5 million apartment in New York City, and her only contact with illegals is either the people in fancy restaurants who are uh, in, in the back of the kitchen washing dishes and bussing tables and things, or cleaning up her home. That's her only... No contact with illegals on a day-to-day basis beyond that. So to her, it's just all virtue signaling. It's all, oh, okay, well, this is fine. This is great. We're just going to let in everybody, and I want my audience to know that. And so, in service of that, she's lying. Uh, Because let's just understand this, folks. Why would I mean, she's wrong on the numbers, but why would 90% of asylum seekers show up for hearings where they know when it is clear from previous hearings that less than 1 in 10 of them are actually going to get asylum? Why would they they put themselves at risk of deportation like that? Of course they're not going to do that. And everyone knows this. But you see, at each stage of this process, of the crisis at our southern border, the libs have been lying. They've been pretending that they care about the rule of law and the process when we all know that the rule of law and the process is being flagrantly and systematically violated, that there, there's a fraud going on here. And, and, and we were right over and over again, but they never changed their minds. Anyway, that's Soledad got uh, buck slapped, which is an important thing sometimes. That needs to happen. So I'm, I'm glad I was able to present her with the facts. And she is somebody who was in need of a little assistance on the factual basis for my claims. Uh, But that's right. But uh, we'll come back in just a moment, team, with a whole lot more on. We got more on the Trump rally. What was this is what I really want to get into? What was the single greatest moment of the Trump rally last night, in your opinion? I want you to hold that thought. Those of you that watch, those of you who watch the campaign launch, I want you to hold that thought because when we come back, I'm going to play for you what I believe is the single greatest moment of that rally and maybe my favorite moment of any Trump rally. Stay with me for it. 2016
0: was not merely another four-year election. This was a defining moment in American history. Ask them right there. This was our chance to reclaim
3: our government. All right, we've been watching okay, the president minute, kick off his reelection <laughs> bid. All
1: right, uh, all right uh, they're chanting uh, CNN sucks uh, at the rally, and uh, they're chanting it really loud, and this is CNN. So we're going to uh, stop covering the rally because they're chanting CNN sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, Mark. That's funny. It's funny. It's amazing. Producer it's Mike, funny. I know you think it's amazing, too. Of course it is dude this is this is phenomenal i was see, watching you know, that what it
3: it happened and i wasn't even, like sort of half paying attention and then that got my full attention
1: i mean that was the highlight
3: of the whole thing for me it was amazing
1: just to have to watch see you know, that sit ah, excuse me um, are they chanting I th- oh, wait hold on a second is wolf down on the floor wolf what can you tell us uh yeah they're uh pretty sure uh that uh uh you know Berman. they're chanting uh i i, I i'm not sure i'm trying to make it out now but i have a feeling and i have a I think they're chanting CNN sucks. (laughs) It's amazing because CNN does suck and they should be told that loudly and clearly and repeatedly over and over again. So good times for everyone. That was the best. That was the best thing. I don't think MSNBC carried any of this speech last night. They had more important things to do. So I I did uh, Tucker's show which was uh, always fun right before the speech. Those of you who got to see that, uh, I think we put it up on Facebook. Uh, it was pretty cool. But I did Tucker show right before the speech, and then I went over to watch the speech because it's only about five minutes from the Fox studio at the uh, Trump International Hotel where I gathered with a, a coterie, a menagerie, a, a smorgasbord of uh, patriots, and we all hung out. And that's where I first saw the Keep America Great merchandise and flags and things that were being waved around. But that was the real highlight. Uh, and Mike, I can tell you, I was in a room with a, probably a couple hundred people where they had this breakout room where they were just watching the speech at the hotel. And that was the best part of the whole thing,
3: because yeah. I mean, and
1: I, I want I'd need to be at a rally when they chant CNN sucks, because then life will be complete.
3: <laughs> can we then do a we'll show live from a Trump rally, please? Oh,
1: my God. I, I'd <laughs> like to. We got to figure out a way to do that. It'd be amazing. And I just want to have people come up and be like, true or false? Does CNN suck? Yeah. Let's see what they he's have to say. such a showman. It's amazing. Uh, he, he's, it's, this is when, when people say, oh, the polls and this and that. I sit there. I say, guys, we know this is Trump. Okay. There's not, no one else that's even going to be in the same universe as this guy in terms of his campaign skills. And well, the Democrats just don't have a very good pitch. Ultimately, there's just what, what is the pitch? We're going to stop all the good stuff that's happening and do bad things. But we're going to do it in a way that uses more politically correct rhetoric. And that, that shouldn't be. I mean, yeah, that's appealing if you're a, a smarmy left coast lib. But for people that just care about results and want the best for the country, that's just not going to do it. That's just not going to do it. But yes, no, CNN sucks. That made me that made me very happy. Um, and there is also Don Le Ah, uh, Monsieur Don Le monde, mais oui. Parlez-vous Don Le monde? I don't know when he became a kind of Cajun. Actually, he's not. I mean, he's is he from Louisiana? I think he's from Louisiana. He obviously has no Cajun accent, though. There, I did get to interview a, a congressman. I forget what his name is. And Mike, this would be uh, kind of fun to pull up from the archives on from the Hill TV days. But it was it was on Hill TV. He's a Republican. He's from Louisiana. And he's like, excuse me, Madame, Madame, Sir, excuse me. He, he had like this kind of Cajun affect. He was this this. Uh, is this uh, white dude from, I think, northern Louisiana, northern Louisiana, um, unlike see, there are some states where they want you to say the state the proper way, like Nevada. Thank you all Nevadans for teaching me and uh, an Oregon instead of Oregon, which I'm telling you is still very popular on the East Coast. People say Oregon. Um, but with Louisiana, they just appreciate if you say the name and just don't try to get too fancy. Same thing with residents of, of, of Louisville. Where there's a lot of different ways that people say it, and they just are like, just don't don't hurt yourself trying to say it. The same thing with Louisiana. Um, But Mr. Don Lemon uh, was on. I don't know. Just it's fun to say his his name. He was on uh, CNN last night. Of course, he's a host there. I used to do that. I used to do a show all the time until I realized that it was a dishonest uh, trash bin, and then I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, It got worse though. In my defense, it got worse when I was there. It got crazier when I was there. It started out somewhat. Uh, normal, but, uh, or normal for CNN. But here's what Don Lamont said about whether or not they should air the Trump rally in Orlando. Play play clip three.
3: Think about the despicable people we've had
1: in history. Okay, now I'm going to use an extreme example. Um, Think about Hitler. Think about any of those people. Would you say that that person is allowed, or let's put it this way. If you could look back on in history, would you say, well... I'm so glad that that person was allowed a platform so that they could spread their hate and propaganda and lies. Or would you say that probably wasn't the right thing to do to spread that because you knew in the moment that that was a bad person and they were doing bad things. Not only were they hurting people, they were killing people. So uh, Don Lemon is making a Trump rally to Hitler early days comparison as as if I mean look the, the, this the, the media they can't hide anymore they they can't help themselves they're showing you who they are day in and day out with their tweets with their commentary with what they do it, it can't we can't put the genie back in the bottle is that a microaggression by the way we're not allowed to mention genies it's like a cultural appropriation of a cultural appropriation of the Middle East uh, we don't want to talk about that anymore so Arabian Nights, remember that? I cannot believe they remade Aladdin with Will Smith live action. Why? Why do so many people in Hollywood insist on trying to ruin our childhoods by remaking movies that should never be remade, or and, and then just remaking them really badly? But, they don't have the creativity uh, to come up with new ideas. You know, I am going to tell you, I am going to admit something. I watched something recently that was pretty. I don't know it's not good but I watched it anyway I was watching the Castlevania cartoon series on Netflix have you seen this no what is it so the only the only reason I so it just there, I had so much nostalgia because the Konami video game from 19 ah oh gosh I can't remember the year late 1980s maybe early 1990s Castlevania was awesome do you remember that game I love that game. I, I thought did. Castlevania was a really cool game. It's loosely based on the on Dra- on Bram Stoker's Dracula. You know, they've done a whole bunch of other stuff with it, but they made a cartoon, an adult cartoon. There's a lot of like heads getting chopped off and it's it's very anime-like in the sense of there's uh lots of sword fighting and dudes getting their heads chopped off, but uh it, it, it's not good, Mike. <laughs> it's, long story short, I cannot I cannot recommend this one. So Makes me sad, but I tried. It just was a little childhood nostalgia thing for me, though, where I'm like, "Oh, I remember Castlevania." I'll watch a little bit of this, but no, I mean, it's not terrible. I don't know, Mike. G- give it a shot and tell me what you think. I will. I'll take it on out. Netflix. Yeah, it's like a good thing to kind of just like when you just want to totally zone out. It can be, you know, when you watch The Office for the five hundredth time and you just don't want to watch <laughs> Office in the background. Yeah. All right, so all right, back back to center, Buck. Back in formation. Gosh, so Don Lemon is uh, is talking about how we wouldn't have given hitler a platform so should we give the president of the united states donald trump a platform this is why cnn is a joke I mean, this is this is unserious and stupid commentary from an unserious and ignorant person and uh this should be remembered going forward when he wants to be i'm just a journalist i'm a serious journalist yeah sure you are buddy sure you are um but cnn sucks was the was the highlight of this whole thing for me i loved every second of it um now, it was great man last night seeing all these folks at uh, at the Trump and for those of you who are team Buck and who listen to the show if you ever see me at the Trump or anywhere else I always really do mean this don't ever be shy but coming up to say hi or whatever i I love seeing members of the team anywhere I am it's never it's never a bother it's never like you know please it's it's you honor me by saying hello if you're somebody who listens to this show so by all means feel free to come up chat you know we can hang a little bit. Drink some Mezcal if you're into that sort of thing and uh, sit back, relax and let Trump save America. That's pretty much that's pretty much how it was going last night. It was great. It was a really good energy, even at the Trump Hotel, where you have a collection of patriots gathered on a regular basis, but especially when there's a big Trump event. So, yeah, all in all, a fantastic launch, my friends, a very strong launch from the Trumpster. It's completely inappropriate. It's reckless, it's irresponsible,
0: it's misinformed, and it's flat-out wrong. If you go to these facilities, whether it's a Border Patrol facility, an HHS facility, or an ICE facility, that, that they will be uh, safe and in adequate conditions. Uh, to detain individuals except for the one exception that I would make is the border patrol facilities. They're designed for adults. They're not designed for kids. So regardless of where you fall on the immigration issue, the law right now says if you come here as an unaccompanied kid you're, you're allowed in the United States. They should not be in Border Patrol facilities. That's why we need Congress, in part, to pass that supplemental bill to get those kids out of Border Patrol stations into more adequate facilities run by HSS. And Congress has sat on their hands for weeks and
1: have not done that. Let me tell you what's really happening here, my friends. Is that the left's Alinskyite overrunning of the border, and yes, they've been waving them in and finding, you know, representing illegals uh, in in the legal process and advocating for them, and the Democrats are holding up the funding and won't change the law. So yes, they are, in fact, waving them in. They are promoting this Alinskyite overwhelming of the system and then turning around and saying, how dare you allow the system to be overwhelmed? They are both the arsonist and the criticizer of the firefighter. We are the firefighters in this case. We're trying to stop this from happening. They don't want it to stop. They're making it happen. And then they say, why aren't you stopping it in a better way? Well, the acting ICE director there, Mark Morgan, whom I've interviewed a few times, a very sharp guy and knows this issue backwards and forwards. He's, first of all, furious with the the completely idiotic and reckless comparison of detention centers to concentration camps. I mean, do we really need to... Do we really need to sit down with a bunch of these moron Democrats who have, you know, major platforms on TV, sit down with them and and show them photos of what people in the Nazi concentration camps look like? Do we need to show them a photo of the thousands and thousands and thousands of children's shoes gathered together in the Holocaust Museum here in D.C. or the eyeglasses that were taken from people before they were marched off the gas chambers and then show them a photo of Fellow American Border Patrol officers who are tending to the needs, bringing food, warming it up themselves, handing it to the migrants who are showing up in these facilities, knowing that they are breaking the law, by the way, not caring about that one bit. The Border Patrol officers who are not paid a lot of money, who are going into their own paycheck to buy extra blankets and pillows and toys for kids who are stuck in Border Patrol facilities because we don't have the facilities for this. We weren't built for this. They want to compare them to concentration camp guards? These people are a disgrace. The same Democrats, you know, this mentality has been around now. We've seen it before. Abolish ICE. That was their chant. Abolish ICE. They probably want to abolish Border Patrol, too. They just won't say it because they know it's political suicide. But increasingly they're pretty open about it. If they had their way, that's what would happen. I mean, if if the if we're operating concentration camps, doesn't that make Border Patrol the concentration camp guards? Are our Border Patrol officers going to be getting tracked down into their into their eighties, even their nineties, as war criminals decade in decades to come by by psychopaths like Ocasio Cortez? I don't know. She seems to think so. They just replace reason with emotion and wonder why they never get it right. The left can't help itself. This is just who they are. They are unfair, unreasonable, and increasingly crazy. Here's, uh, here's MSNBC back in the day promoting this. The concentration camp thing is not new. I've been telling you. The, the former CIA director said it. I tweeted it, I should say. Uh, This is not a new theme because they're just trying to what's the maximum outrage they can generate for political purposes? What can they say to get the most? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Response from Libs. That's what they're going to say. Here's MSNBC back last summer. Promoting this idea that kids that migrant kids are being put in concentration camps, play
3: 17. And this is an important fact check. It is not the law to separate parents. And children at the border. That is not the law. It is their interpretation of the law. We are. Or, or it used to be America's greatest democracy. We can't find a solution to this problem without harming children, right? Without and, putting and I, them into I, concentration camps? It's not even an interpretation of the law. It is a policy. It's a new policy. It is a, a policy that has been invoked by the President of the United that's States. Right. I call this a concentration camp for kids because that's exactly what it's turning out to. When you give kids twenty-two hours of lockup time and two hours of, of air time, what else can right. it be? And if this is is where this country is going the american people need to wake up and pay attention because your kids could be next right see
1: they were saying it a year ago on msnbc this isn't new we're operating concentration camps you know if if what libs say that we are on a path to fascism that we're operating concentration camps at the border if they believe these things Then we have to be deeply concerned if the rhetoric that the left, that the Democrats routinely use in this country to describe the operations of the Trump administration, to deride the character and intent of the Trump administration. If they believe these things, they say over and over again. We should all be deeply concerned about what they're going to do the next time they're in power because what would you do if you thought that the opposition were nazis what would you do if you thought that the opposition leader was basically hitler you know i i I thought obama was overrated not nearly as smart as the left pretended he was not as wise not as amazing but i I never thought the guy was hitler i just thought he wasn't a great president and wasn't somebody i would have voted for I, I never hated Obama. I actually never hated him. I just disagreed with him. The left hates Trump in a way that is a, is its own form of psychosis. But then I give you the, the alternative possibility, and maybe this is the more true one. I know a lot of you would say, Buck, both these things are true. They believe that Trump is Hitler, or they believe that Trump is, uh, is a, a fascist and that the concentration camps at the border are real. But there's another option here or another addition into this. They're willing to say anything. They're willing to go to any level of exaggeration, use any kind of overreach and insanity to make a point and to hurt their political rivals, which in its own way is also very disturbing. In its own way is, is deeply unsettling because it means that these people have no moral compass at all. That they'll say anything at any time, no matter what it does to the morale and the functioning and the tranquility of this country. We'll be right back.
4: The United States is running concentration camps on our southern border, and that is exactly what they are. The fact that concentration camps are now an institutionalized practice in the Home of the Free is extraordinarily disturbing.
1: Wow. That is what AOC had to say about the whole situation at the, at the border. One of the dumbest things I've heard in a long time. Indefensible, stupid, reckless, ignorant. This is not hard, folks. This is not a hard it's not a close call, not a difficult one and I know that yesterday this got so much attention. But there's a lot here. There's a lot that's beneath the surface. There's a lot on the surface, too. But There's a lot that's beneath the surface that deals with why a Democrat would say this and also why so many Democrats and lib media outlets and big, overpaid, pompous TV news anchors would try to find a way to defend these comments, to defend this, um, Let's let's first work on the fact that AOC has now claimed that there is a consensus, a consensus that she was correct in comparing what happened at our southern or with the detention of families and migrants at our southern border to it was Nazi concentration camps. We're not going to let her play this game. She said concentration camps and never forget. And she worked Never Forget into this, so we all knew exactly what she's talking about. But now she's claiming that her concentration camp comment that the smart people agree with her. Play 13.
4: Very clear academic consensus on what constitutes a concentration camp, and that is the mass detention of a community of people without a trial or due process. I think it's pretty universally uh, and non-controversial to say that the administration is doing exactly that and meets the academic requirement for what a concentration camp is.
1: You're not comparing this to what happened in World War II?
4: No, no. I, while concentration camps were employed uh, during that time, concentration camps were also utilized in a wide, uh, in all over the world, including in the United States with a Japanese internment.
1: <sighs> well, first of all, they, they call them. They tend to refer to them as internment camps when we're referring to the Japanese Americans in this country. Uh, But note how somebody who is by no stretch of the imagination an, an academic or has an impressive academic pedigree in any way, and not that an impressive academic pedigree would even mean all that much, but she has none of these things invokes the academic consensus about what she said as though, yeah, the Academy's on my side. Oh, you mean that the tenured commies that teach at schools across the country? That's really impressive. AOC. It is not impressive at all. Uh, but she got dragged yesterday. That's what they call it. When you say something or write something, particularly on Twitter, that's really stupid. And then everyone just piles on you and talks about what an imbecile you are. Call it getting dragged. It happens to people sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly, uh, AOC was getting dragged, and the left leapt to her defense. They really do have a particular defensiveness and, and a, a soft spot for backing up at all costs and any costs certain members of Congress. They do this for AOC. They do it for Ilhan Omar. They do it for Rashida Tlaib. They will go to the mat for these new members of Congress in the media, which tells you a lot. They will leave certain. You know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz back in the day could get hammered by the media. I mean, we could just sit here and be like, you know, robot Debbie with her. I'm talking about the talking points about the Democrats and how the Republicans are so bad and Republicans are terrible. And I just said the same thing over, you know, Debbie is just a little blabbering talking points robot. And I could say that stuff and nobody was going to rush to Debbie Wasserman Schultz's defense the same way, at least the same way that they do with AOC and Tlaib. There's a real sensitivity here. I mean, I think it's one that these are that that the the media is more left wing in their sense in their sensibilities and in their sympathies than they really want anyone to know. I mean the media we have a hard left media in this country that presents you know slightly left center <laughs> right that's they they try or at least consider themselves left center but they're they're really pretty hard left at this point. I mean they they want the president imprisoned, they want his family imprisoned and ruined. Uh, They are willing to lie about things to get there. They're willing to abuse the process, excuse all kinds of misbehavior and invoke insane double standards. I mean, the left now has radicalized. I've been saying it for a long time. The left is radicalized. But when you see radical members of the left all of a sudden getting dragged by conservative media on Twitter, by the radio hosts and TV shows. Uh, then you have this. This. Uh, what do they call? It? Do they call it standing or just when you stand for someone? Producer Mike, isn't this what the kids say now? Like when you S T A N, isn't that like you're standing up for somebody in a big way? Because you're like super fanning for them or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right? right. Yeah, right. Like you stand for someone. It sounds like they're saying stand, but it's actually S T A N. It's a new word that the cool kids use now. <laughs> so they will, um, they will stand for. AOC, and they will back her up when she is not back up a bull really. And this is not a close call. Um, But here is AOC, deciding to go after Liz Cheney on this issue. You know, she's just gonna... She's gonna clap back, even when she should just... AOC, you should just take the L on this one. But she won't take the L. Um, She has been given way too much power. She has far... Too little knowledge for the power that she wields in the media and in our discourse. She is the Prince Joffrey of the Democratic Party. And that's why she thinks it's okay to do things like this. Play Clip Twelve.
4: She used the term extermination, which is co-opting the language of that. You know, that term implies that the people who died in the Holocaust. It 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 doubles down on the rhetoric that justified it. And so I think it's uh I mean I think she's the one that needs to do her homework
1: she is a she is a dangerous moron folks and i i i mean that i mean that because she's just never no one has ever pulled her aside and really let her know you're just not that smart she looks and presents and has a story that the left loves i mean they they like the packaging they like the superficiality of ocasio cortez the she's kind of like a female che Guevara in american society in 2019 you know she's going to Lead us to the socialist heights of a great new future where there's you know, an elimination of white privilege and there's the radical redistribution of wealth and all this stuff. They like all these aspects of her, but no one really has ever pulled her aside and said to her, You're really not, you, you have a lot to learn and you, you would benefit tremendously from humility. Uh, she is completely lacking in humility. I mean, the, the whole, oh, I was a bartender thing, this is a false humility that she uses as part of her branding. She's going to lecture Liz Cheney on this. And then th- this, was, this was a fascinating maneuver. And Chris Cuomo, bro Cuomo, yo, do you even lift? He responded to, to, uh, to someone on Twitter, I saw this today, with the same extermination is for pests, not for people. So what they're trying to do is to switch the conversation. They've lost on this. I mean, they're, they're getting pounded and they know they're, they're trying to fight back, but they're wrong. What she said was stupid. What she said was wrong. You know, Mike Hayden, former CIA director. I worked for Mike. I've talked to Mike. I know him not well, but talked to him. a few, briefed him a few times, Uh, Mike said something similar. And I can tell you that even people that I know in the intel community who are very senior, who are Trump hating, Trump hating liberals have said to me privately that Mike Hayden comparing what was going on at our southern border to concentration camps was was completely intellectually inexcusable, inexcusable. They recognize that like you can't you can't be doing that. That's just crazy. Just like people who when I've asked them, even remember, I'm talking about Trump haters, folks. I'm talking about deep staters who want to get rid of Trump. The ones, though, who are not complete buffoons, who have like five percent non buffoonery left in them. They will say that John Brennan calling what Trump has done treason. I mean, that's just also crazy. That's just that's nuts. Uh, But they. Will go nuts in their defense of AOC. And what they've done, and this became the new talking point for today, was to suggest that usage of the, exter- the quote, extermination of six million Jews, that by using the word extermination, you are in effect appropriating Nazi language and terminology. Therefore, you're the problem. Therefore, you're the problem. This is, this is the new, the latest wow moment the latest wow moment from the liberal left in their efforts to do everything they can uh, to just distract from what's really happened. I mean, they're, they're a complete and utter disgrace. Yet here we are. Um, if you want to know how wrong they are and, and how broke Cuomo and the others who are now trying to lecture us on the usage of the word extermination in reference to, to what happened to the Jews and 5 million non-Jews I, I do think that that that's a part of the conversation too I this is just this this is history this is these are the facts there were 6 million Jews and 5 million non-Jews exter- exterminated uh murdered in the concentration camps uh, a, a million a million gypsies 2 million plus poles uh, catholic poles mostly and then 6 million Jews uh which is this is all you can go. I mean, I live within walking distance of the Holocaust Museum here in D.C., and that's the number that they have there as well. And, you know, to to understand, we should never minimize the full scope and the full degree of of the atrocities of the Nazi regime. But Cuomo, in response to Liz Cheney, that's I was trying to find this for a second there, tweeted out today, Bro Cuomo, exterminated, question mark. We use that for pests, not people. See, he, he is on the, this is now the new lib talking point. Oh, you can't use exterminated in the. This is such a distraction. This is such an absurdity to even bring this up. But then, uh, as many pointed out, like Phil Klein, uh, hat tip to him over at the um, Washington Examiner. Uh, you know, Phil Klein tweeted out I confess, I don't fully understand what Cuomo's pretending to be outraged about, but the U.S. Holocaust Museum and Israel's Yad Vashem both refer repeatedly to quote extermination camps so they, they didn't even think this one through but they're so desperate on the left to find something some smokescreen, to defend aoc's stupidity or just take the heat off her for a moment that they would say outrageously stupid stuff doubling down on stupid i mean this from cuomo and you know oh my gosh the whole what's his name chris uh hayes over at msnbc and i can't even keep track of all the libs julia yaffe all these people saying moronic stuff here to defend aoc why are they so willing to do this why not at least be if you want to be a little hypocritical on this and just play for your team just be silent about it just wait this will pass why gaslight us well there's a real There's a real impulse here on the left to protect this new far-left vanguard of the Democrat Party. They're particularly sensitive about the far-left, and I think there's real reason for that. This isn't just a byproduct. This isn't a bug. This is a feature. They are hoping that the AOC wing of the Democratic Party will, in short order, become The mainstream Democratic Party. And that's why they'll make total idiots of themselves to try to make Ocasio-Cortez look like less of an idiot.
4: Rep. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is under fire again for some comments she made about um, concentration camps. I'm wondering if you've talked to some of the freshman members about the power of their words.
0: These members of Congress are, they come and represent their district and their point of view, and they take responsibility uh, for the statements that they make. The Republicans have no interest in holding the president accountable for his words. They will misrepresent anything that you say, just if you have one word in the sentence that they can
1: exploit. Oh, now Pelosi goes with the classic. At least give her credit for this. Pelosi goes with the classics here, folks, which is that, oh, they're misrepresenting what she said. They're misrepresenting it. How? How exactly are they misrepresenting what 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 aoc says she said it it was dumb and we're saying it was dumb this is just again they, they words have no meaning to these people the truth is nothing this is why when they lecture us about trump and you know an exaggeration here some salesmen talk there a little bit of you know coloring outside the lines when he speaks i know trump does it i'm not oblivious of course but that's different than just up is down, down is up, and we're the guardians of truth while we're telling you that. But th- there's the defending AOC because of what she represents for the party. And then there's also the even more troubling component of this, and that is that there are some who really do think that there is a, any moral comparison or some rough approximation of similarity between what goes on at the U.S.-Mexico border and what happened in the Nazi concentration camps of World War II. And now, it's not possible. It's not possible to be so very, very stupid um, and, and to think this unless there's emotion that's also involved. I mean, nobody really believes that these are the same things. But they become so emotional about what's going on at the border that they put themselves in a position where they will say things that are, are just insane. Because, um, you know, all this Trump is Hitler talk has finally gotten to their brains. Angela Rye over at CNN is a very emotional person. They put her on CNN. She yells. She basically goes on TV and calls people racists. That's that's her job. Uh, here's what she said about this whole Holocaust comparison about our southern border play 14.
2: In 1933, there were crisis. concentration camps. In 1941, they were death camps, and that is where we are going if our, our consciences are not quickly uh, pierced. Me, it is a problem. Let me tell Do you not who agrees laugh with it me. off Let me tell Do you not who... laugh it off.
1: We're heading to death camp, she says. she's doubling down. she's tripling down on this. Not only is it, oh, it's accurate to call what we have concentration camps, we are, in fact, according to this paid CNN contributor who is presented in front of a national audience and treated with respect and treated like she's a star by most of CNN, by the way. She's saying that we are on on the same moral trajectory as Nazi Germany was in the 1930s. That is a disgusting and abhorrent slap in the face to our men and women of Border Patrol, whom I know, and who are good people, who are patriots, who are a third of our veterans, by the way. Do you think CNN is going to pull her off the air? No, of course not. She can say whatever stupid crap she wants. Why? Because she's defending Congress people in the protected class, and that's all that really matters here to the left and to the libs. And we know it. We know it. All right, team. I want to introduce you to somebody who came on my radar actually via my friend Tommy Laren, and she said you've got to talk to this guy, Maj Toure. I said, all right, let me look. Let me look into this a little bit. Turns out Maj is the founder of. Black Guns Matter. He is running for city council in the great city of Philadelphia, producer Mike's favorite city because he's from there. And we decided to bring Madge on to tell us what he's up to, what Black Guns Matter is all about, and what his uh, politics are in the city council race. Madge, thanks so much for making the time.
2: Thanks for having me, man. All right,
1: let's we'll start with Black Guns Matter. What is this?
2: So, we're a firearm safety and training organization that has a heavy focus in urban areas. So, most of the areas where there's high crime, high violence, usually those places are urban and they have a lot of gun control um, because, you know, criminals love gun control. So um, basically we go to those areas. We're completely crowdsourced. We go to those areas where those things are happening. And in essence, what we do is we give these free events or so people pay, pay it forward for these events for everyone to come learn, um, deal with conflict resolution. Whatever, conflict resolution, de-escalation, so forth and so on. And so, um, I mean, we've been doing it since 2015. Um, it's been it's been love. It's been a lot of people supporting, and uh, we just want to educate and make the hood great again, basically.
1: Do you come across a lot of of hostility when, when you're when you're talking to to folks in the black community in, in Philadelphia or anywhere else where you're doing these trainings? Do you do you just get the sense that the black community has been told by the Democratic Party, which, as we know, has a majority of, of black voters supporting it? That, that guns are somehow just even legal guns and legal gun ownership is bad? Or, you know, what, what's, what's the perception that you're dealing with in the black community of, sec, of the Second Amendment?
2: So, one, it is changing. So I'll lead with that. But there has been a concentrated effort by the left. Um, and, and, and I, again, I have tons of friends that's on the left, and I love them dearly, but they've been thoroughly misinformed. Um, there's a, there's a, a common theme to make sure that urban America is not armed. All gun control is racist from the very beginning. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, the areas that happen to be populated by melanated beings happen to be urban centers. And those policies, you know, reflect, let's lock them up for just the simple possession of a firearm. We're talking about guys. I've had scenarios where 25-year-old guys work at a bank, regular job, live in a rough part of Philly, purchase a firearm lawfully, not knowing that he has to. Mind you, Pennsylvania is an open-carriage state, by the way. Not knowing that he has to fill out paperwork, pay a fee, all of these other different things. He gets pulled over. Tells the officer he has a firearm located, where it's located. He catches the felony. He loses his job. He loses his apartment. These are things not because, Again, this isn't clearly. This isn't the John Dillinger guy. This is the person that's saying, "I want a firearm to protect my friends, my family, and myself in my neighborhood, if need be." And we're locking people up for it. So the misconception is based on years of you know uh, negative propaganda. Telling people, especially Black people, that you know if you got a gun, you either the bad guy or you better be the cops. And that's not that's not the principle that America was built upon. But it's it's been a, a, a pervasive falsehood that the left has uh, thoroughly uh, ingrained into urban America, especially Black people. But we at Black Guns Matter are doing the work to change that tremendously.
1: What are you hoping to do going forward with Black Guns Matter? Or do you have uh, events planned in, in other cities outside of Philly? And and what can folks do who are listening who want to get involved and perhaps want to help, what can they do?
2: So we've been on a tour for the last two years. Our goal is to hit every major city in America, uh, every state in America. Um, you know, we've raised about, we, we're only about $8,544 away from our goal for 2019, which is $50,000 for the whole year. Uh, we ask anybody that knows that conflict resolution is important, de-escalation is important, and people from the right, that specifically want to make sure that those lessons of uh, the Second Amendment is available for all Americans, especially Americans that have been tricked by the left. I mean, and I hate to say it in such a seemingly polarizing way, but the facts is the facts. You know, so if anybody wants to support that work, these, we, we, we make these classes available to everyone that comes out and registers for free by everyone paying it forward. Uh, they can hit our GoFundMe, GoFundMe.com forward slash Black Guns Matter Um, if anybody wants to support. But really it's about, again, the conflict. uh, I don't want to overshadow this. The conflict resolution is a primary part. The de-escalation is a primary part. And becoming, this year we've added, uh, political education. It doesn't make sense to inform urban America about, you know, firearm safety and knowledge and the Second Amendment if we're not going to galvanize that that demographic, you know, to vote in a way that is in support of their freedoms. This is all for nothing if we just continue to, you know, have urban America voting in the same people that are infringing and infringing and infringing. You know, so that's a major component of it as well, but everybody that pays it forward at that, you know, our GoFundMe, GoFundMe.com forward slash Black Guns Matter, um, that helps out tremendously. It, it, it removes that financial barrier to entry, and we get people get people's uh, minds and hearts proper in, in, in regards to the Second Amendment.
1: And, Madge, I also want to ask you about your running for city council in Philadelphia. What, what are you going to do to try to help clean up that city You know, i had a brother went to a university there and he would tell these stories and we grew up in new york city so we're not kids that aren't used to a, a fair amount of of crime and, and urban decay but he said that philly was a whole other level so what are your plans if you if you get elected to help clean up in philly and you know obviously that could possibly be replicated in other cities that are still uh beset with with the crime problems of a major city
2: so the three major platforms that we're running on uh uh, they all tie into the same thing. But um, th- So let me before I go to those three points, one, I got to be very uh, – on city council, you got to be very – I, I want to see where all of the money going. Okay, we got $40 million that was earmarked towards anti-violence prevention. But over the weekend, we had 32 shootings. I mean, in this whole stop the violence, put down the guns thing, we've been talking about this for decades. We've been having this conversation forever. But where is that money going? And then we're talking about spaces where, even outside of just firearms, we're talking about soda taxes that were supposed to be helping the schools, but the schools still got a $12 million budget. You know, so as a city councilman, the first thing that I want to do is, okay, we need to be accountable for all this paper. Now, they can ignore me somewhat if I'm outside of the political sphere. But me being, you know, on city council at large, now I'm one of your peers. So that's one thing. The other three is getting civics back introduced into the schools, k to twelve. As soon as they're able to read, they need to be learning about civics. They need to know about the trifecta that is the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. Because when you want to uh, uh, you know, keep people feeling uh, depressed and not uh, feeling active or part of a society, you don't tell them about their part in society. So that's one. The other thing is the decriminalization of you know, cannabis. Now, I don't even smoke, but I smoke cigars, which means, okay, I'm fully aware as an adult what I'm doing. I'm making a choice. I don't think that we keep locking people up for things that, you know, 46% of people in jail, that overcharging people, right? Overcharging, overcrowded. 46% of people are in jail there for minor uh, cannabis possession. So I want to deal with that as well, decriminalizing, at least in Philadelphia. And the last thing is just making sure that um, our freedoms, uh, you know, our our urban centers especially, because a lot of times we leave that portion out and making sure we're doing thorough representation of the people, all of the people that represent the city. And these are the things that I'm going to do as city person.
1: Maj Torre, everyone. Black Guns Matter is the organization. You can follow him uh, on Twitter. And, Maj, we appreciate you coming in, and give us an update. Come back soon. Will do. I appreciate you, man. All right, you too. You take care team, we'll be right back.
3: Tonight, Malaysian authorities are urgently studying the captain's at-home flight simulator for clues.
2: The simulator was reassembled at the police headquarters.
3: Investigators want to know, did the captain, seen here on a widely circulated YouTube clip appearing to show him going through airport security, practice the maneuvers that the flight made beforehand? And today we learn from Malaysian officials the potential critical importance of that last radio transmission from the plane to air traffic control. All so you will right remember right
1: the flight. The- that, was, that was a little bit of, of just newsreel from uh, a couple of years ago, early on, in the investigation surrounding this uh, Malaysian Airlines flight that disappeared, right? We remember when this happened. MH is the designation for Malaysia, uh, Malaysia Airlines And this is, uh, I mean, MH370, one of the great aviation mysteries of all time. Uh, This was a uh, certainly a a shock to many people um, that you could have. I mean, anytime a plane goes down and hundreds of people die, uh, that's going to be a shock. But when a plane disappears and no bodies are found and no one knows where the plane is, that's going to have a a profound impact on the public psyche. Right? People are going to say, what the heck is this? In an era of satellite communications and instantaneous transmission, how can hundreds of people effectively vanish into thin air, at least as far as the authorities who are supposed to track them and protect them and know what's going on are concerned? Well, that is what happened, effectively, on the night of March, 18, uh, March 8th, twenty. Um, and, you know, so it was five years ago that this issue first happened. And I remember, you know, and, and on just all the networks, CNN in particular, though, were doing a lot of coverage of this issue because nobody seemed to be able to come up with a real explanation for what happened. There were some really out there theories. People were talking about the fl- plane being hijacked, landed in Iran. I mean, there were there were conspiracy theories that were way out there. Well, now, an article by William Langevisha, or Langewish, I don't know how you say his name, in The Atlantic, what really happened to Malaysia's missing airplane pulls together what I think is the most compelling version of events here. Um, This pulls together, you know, what happened in a way that, that makes sense and is utterly horrifying. Here's what he says. Here's what he takes us through is that this, uh, the pilot in command, Zahari Ahmed Shah, 53 years old, was one of the most senior people in the entire Malaysia Airlines fleet. And he was a married guy. He had a few kids, lived in a gated development. He owned two houses. And he had a very elaborate Microsoft flight simulator installed in his home so that he could practice flying. And from looking at that, authorities have taken it as as evidence that he was planning something like what happened here. Uh, There were 227 passengers on Malaysia Airlines flight, uh, Malaysia Airlines flight 370. And what happened after about 11 minutes, uh, after it was uh, crossing... I'm sorry, 11 minutes after it reached its cruising level of 35,000 feet, it disappeared from radar. And then there were no more contacts, and there was just no sense of where it went. Now, they believe, and they've pulled together from satellite pings of the plane and information that they've been able to gather of a technical nature, that the plane turned toward the southern Indian Ocean, and just went on a a six hour a six hour flight, uh, and that six hour flight ended in catastrophe. That is believed that the plane broke up into many 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 pieces, essentially disintegrated on impact. That it just completely crashed in the water in the Indian Ocean. Uh, I, it's hard to even imagine. It's hard to conceptualize how an airplane could the the force of an airplane hitting the water could be so much that it disintegrates but that is that is what is believed to have happened how did it get to this point though well uh there was no emergency distress signal it's quite clear from what happened based on this report in the atlantic and and this has been thought for a while that zahari who was the pilot in charge. There was another pilot, a a trainee of sorts, but he it's believed that Zahari took control in the cockpit, uh, locked the other pilot out and then took the plane, switched off all the electronic uh, transponders, all the means of communication and tracking for the flight. And that he then took the plane to a a very, very steep climb after depressurizing the cabin. And took it up to perhaps 40,000 feet plus in the air and depressurized the cabin, which would have very quickly uh, incapacitated and then killed everybody on the plane. Whereas in the pilot's cockpit, there would have been oxygen tanks that he would have had access to with enough oxygen for hours. So it is believed that he engaged in what was effectively a mass murder at 40,000 feet in the air. So all the people were likely dead from this before any impact or anything else. He probably killed everybody on that plane by taking it to this 40,000-foot ceiling and turned off the pressurization in the cabin, turned off the transponder. He would have had to know a lot about the electronics and the communication systems of the plane to do this, and he he is somebody who would have known, who, who did know that. And then took it on this route out over the ocean for six hours at least, it is believed, based on the pings from the satellites and the other technical analysis of this that they can do. And that from there, from there he uh, likely just buried it in the ocean and the thing fell apart. There's another component of this story that is a reminder And that is the Malaysian government, which is a famously corrupt government in Southeast Asia. If you want a little taste of how corrupt, you can read The Billion Dollar Whale, a very good book about a massive financial fraud using the sovereign wealth fund of Malaysia uh, with a guy named Joe Lowe at the head of it, who now is hiding out somewhere in China. Uh, I highly recommend that book if you're interested in international financial fraud and intrigue and the U.S., firms that were complicit in that whole thing but malaysia is very corrupt and initially there were as there always are in these cases government concerns and government efforts about what information they share what they want to tell the public what the public should know how that slows down the investigation how there was always a concern that there would be some culpability found on the malaysian government or malaysia Airlines side and that initial desire to get the story right that initial uh slowdown of the release of information and and the uh, what should have been immediate calls for assistance to try to track down this wreckage uh, that was delayed well when a plane hits the water the wreckage begins to disperse and sink It doesn't sink right away but waiting many hours before you even know where to look for this thing is going to mean that you have a much harder time eventually finding it. I, I highly recommend for those of you that want, and you know, we'll put I'll put this up on Facebook and I'll do it right now. So I, I know I tend to forget things sometimes when I say I'll put it on Facebook, but uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Saxton if you want to see it. Um, it's uh it's one of these things that I just think it's worth worth reading through because this was such a, a fascinating and really frightening case. And now I think they've finally been able to pull together what happened. And this guy just it's 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 almost like a a mass shooter who wants to go out in a, in a blaze of 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 infamy. And in this case, it was a crash of a blazing crash of infamy. And, um, you know, it's it's just it's a fascinating read and it's a little terrifying, too. And just, you know, there's a lot of a lot of what we deal with day to day is about trust. You know, do we trust each other in society? Do we trust the driver of the car we're in, the pilot of the plane we're in? In some cases, it's rare, but in some cases, the worst happens. And that's what it looks like. Mike Mike just tweeted me, 80% of airline crashes are due to pilots. Yep. It's not the equipment that fails. Oh, man, shots fired. Shots fired from uh, one... Well, a titan of media to a Lilliputian of media. I see this on on uh, on Mediaite, the the great, the one and only Sean Hannity here putting Mr. Jim Acosta in his place. Now, Acosta and CNN is is as an organization, and the whole thing is now just is completely absurd. <laughs> it's my favorite. As I've been saying, my favorite thing from the entire. Campaign launch last night was CNN sucks. CNN sucks. (laughs) They turn it off. (laughs) That's amazing. CNN's like, oh, gotta 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 get off of this thing. This is bad. This is bad for business. Uh, And I guess it is probably bad for business. But um, Hannity uh, on his blog, and as you know, Sean is in, in many many markets across the country. The the lead into this show, and I, I when I'm in New York, I generally do the show right next to Sean. He's a great guy. His staff is fantastic people, and I'm I'm Team Hannity all the way. So I I always get a little excited when Sean. It's you know it's like it's kind of like when uh, you know in, in the Lion King when when Mufasa has to like slap around some of the hyenas. You're like ah yes the the big lion comes over and smacks them around. But here's what he says to. Uh, The little Jimmy Acosta quote, as I said, to little fake news, Jimmy Acosta, you have not earned time on the number one show on all of cable news. You can tell all your reps to stop begging my staff. The answer is no. Unlike you, I don't peddle lies on the lowest rated cable network in America, nor will I promote your lies on 618 of the best talk radio stations in America, nor has anyone ever provided me scripts or talking points. Another Acosta lie. For the record, I do not recall meeting you on a bus. Why did you miss your big chance to talk to me? Now I do have good news for you. I will gladly meet you privately in a mutual agreeable schoolyard alone as you requested. My only condition is this meeting will have nothing to do with your failing book, failing career, or failing network. I'm free the week of the fourth. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. I have a feeling little Jimmy Acosta is not going to respond to uh, this one. Uh, Acosta had claimed previously that Hannity had ducked him in Helsinki um, and and. Hannity retaliated by saying a costumes and begging for a chance to come on his program. You know, one thing I'll tell you is that the the conservative hosts who are who are big in this business are people that I know. I know them. I know almost all of them personally pretty well uh, or have talked to all of them at length. And some of them I know personally. Well, Uh, I don't know Rush. The, the great, the one and only uh, I've only filled in on his show. I don't know him personally. I've actually never met rush, which is something that hopefully one day I'll remedy. Um, but Sean, I know well, and obviously I spend a lot of time on Tucker's show and they're all good people. You know, they're all people that you would enjoy sitting down and talking to rush Sean Tucker. Uh, you know, I do Shannon Bream show a lot. She's one of the nicest, smartest, best people you could ever meet. And, so many of these lib hosts I know, I'm just telling you the truth. I know this is going to sound they're just awful. <laughs> I'm just I'm just going to tell them. they're they're snide, they're smarmy, they're arrogant, they're stupid. These left-wing hosts, it's just true. I'm telling you the truth.
2: Ain't no party like a Team Buck
0: party cuz a Team Buck party don't stop.
2: Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11.
3: It's time for Roll
1: Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton for the Roll Call action. So, yeah. uh, Guess what, team? Today I get to tell you some exciting news. Coming back to NYC, and we will be streaming this summer. We will start in, in, I believe, in August. That's the plan. We're going to start streaming the Buck Sexton show on video. We're going to have a cool set. We're going to have all kinds of stuff, all kinds of great things going on for you starting this summer. And also, the show, we're going to be uh, putting out the podcast even earlier. Get excited about it. You'll be able to see the stream very early in the day. You'll be able to see the podcast early. And then, if you want to listen live on the radio, you can. Uh, but uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a game changer because I keep having people come up to me and they say, "Buck, you know, I really, I, I, I love. I don't have a, a station that carries me in your area. I want to listen to the show, but the show's not. And, you know, it's comes out sometimes late in the evening and depends on how quickly the podcast uploads." I said, "All right, the people have been heard. The podcast will be all of you listening. will be able to, will be able to hear the podcast starting in August of this summer. You'll be able to hear the podcast in drive time wherever you are." Uh, so I am psyched about that. And as for uh, New York City, my family's there. Uh, that's that's where, that's where the buck is most buck-like, and I'm excited about it. So you're going to get buck unfiltered, no libs that I have to be uh, cordial to as part of my job, which is nice. I'm excited about that. I'll be in my hometown doing my thing, trying to make sure that freedom wins going into 2020 uh and here we go um hmm let's see we get it. adam writes buck do you think you could do a bernie and hillary debate hosted by commie bear podcast short maybe and maybe it would go viral well, i don't know i mean the hillary voice is the only little snippets of it really work um but as for commie bear and all this these are things that when, now that I'm really bring the focus, the entire focus of what I'm doing back to this show, um, meaning that I don't have another serious full-time job I have to take care of, then yes. Uh, yeah, then, then in fact I will be able to do things like Commie Bear. So that's, that's going to happen. Uh, let's see here. Jeremy writes, I was a Never Trumper in 2016. I was not a fan of Trump's personal and business character. While I still don't like a lot of his personal quirks, I like what he's been doing as president and will be voting for him in 2020. Well, Jeremy, I approve of your decision making. My state is one that joined that state electoral compact, and I hope Trump loses the popular vote in my state, but wins it nationwide and forces the Democrat powers in my state to give him the electoral votes as per their own law. Then we will see this state compact die. As always, shields high. Um, all right, Jeremy. Well, you know, I, I, I totally respect that. And, and all along, I've really thought that that it was um, the the smart decision or rather the, the wise decision for conservatives. I, I get that there's stuff about Trump that people really don't like in his personal life. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that being married three times and and I think what what is admi- admitted infidelity, at least in some of the cases, I'm not talking about the Stormy Daniels stuff, per se, but some of the earlier. Uh, situations in trump's life but i I also don't look to politicians as paragons of uh, moral virtue and and i think that they serve a purpose beyond role models for the youth of america or whatever it may be because i've never thought the politicians and none of this is new either and this is why even talking about this i feel a little bit like i'm playing into the left's game here because i mean bill clinton was a was a a morally repugnant human being i i can tell you this and this is an important distinction i do not believe and i would i would say so if i felt otherwise i do not believe for a second that donald trump ever tried to force himself on a woman uh, assaulted a woman i know they say this thing about grab them by the by the bad word but that's They're misconstruing what he was the the tone and the the tenor of what he was saying, which was essentially that he can be very aggressive with women sexually. And they like it because he's famous and he's a big deal. Now, you can not like that in what he said, but that's different than what Bill Clinton was credibly accused of many times over, which was forcing himself on women. Sexually attacking women. And he was president for eight years and Democrats defended him to the hilt. There's a huge difference between somebody who is a sexual predator and somebody who is uh, sexually a bit more free spirited. I'm not even sure what you would call it as, as, you know, somebody who is a sexual predator versus somebody who is aggressive in his pursuit of beautiful women, which is, I think, what Donald Trump could could be said to be. Uh, and Anyway, I, I could talk about this all day, but these are the these are adult decisions that we all have to make do you really want to hold out do you want to allow democrats to say your candidate's not perfect and then we have some psycho uh lib commie who is okay with murdering babies is, is that because someone that never trump never answers that question is that really what we're supposed to have is that a better situation for america because that's the choice we can pretend that there was some other choice but that is the choice that we all had then and it's even more clear now what the choice is because not only are those dynamics in play But we've also had four years of a president who hasn't gone to war with a country for no reason, hasn't escalated a a, a war in a country we're already in for no reason, has presided over a booming economy and isn't trying to tell you how to live your life every day. Isn't that refreshing? Isn't it nice not to have Obama talking down to you as though somehow he knows better about how you should pick your health care, about how you should, you know. Uh, whether you should be able to defend yourself, you know. I mean, all you go through all these different aspects of Obamaism for eight years, and it was a lot of condescension and lecturing. I, I just, I, I got sick of it. I don't need that anymore. I, I never needed it. I never wanted it. Uh, you can tell this got me a lot. Anyway, Jeremy, I see, I, Jeremy, I think you're making an adult decision. I think you're making a wise choice by supporting Trump, even though you have your misgivings. And don't we all have our misgivings about politicians? It's not like I thought Mitt Romney was the greatest thing since sliced bread. He was the best option we had at the time. I think he would have been a competent commander in chief. I think he's been a little bit, honestly, I think he's been a little sanctimonious in the era of Trump. I think he's lost the plot a little bit, but still better than Hillary or, or Obama. TJ writes, Buck, I've had this idea floating around in my head for a little bit uh, for the censorship by platforms and would like to run it by you to see what your thoughts are like to preface by saying that it'd be awesome to see one of the platforms adopt this idea. However, the more likely outcome would be that a new platform would have to do this. Here it goes. Imagine being able to toggle the speech on the platform to conform to a certain country's laws. So in most free speech countries, like the U.S., there'd be little to no restrictions. However, if you'd like to see the way some of the more restricted speech countries' laws are, you would have that option to toggle that country's laws on. Along with this, the more restricted the speech is in the country you live in, the less options you would have to toggle on or off. Someone in the USA would essentially be able to toggle on or off every other country's speech laws, whereas someone in the Middle East or China may be very limited what they could toggle. A lot of, lot of usage of the word toggle here. This would be a very good way to give everyone across the globe a perspective of just how free we are. Um, yeah. All right, TJ. That's interesting um uh, thank you for the thought <laughs> always appreciate you writing in and thank you for wearing a shields high t-shirt in your avatar on facebook that's awesome uh a bunch of people wrote in last night no podcast uploaded no podcast uploaded uh guys i'm sorry man you know we, we upload it i don't know what to say um and we uploaded it i gotta check this one out let's see what we got here uh taylor what's up taylor there were twice as many porta-potties to support the crowd that waited two days to get into Trump's rally than there were actual people at Creepy Uncle Joe's rally. You lefties can keep your polls. Yeah, man, that's right, Taylor. Don't let them say all kinds of nonsense. Joey from Alabama writes, You just said to message you and tell you something good. Well, I just returned to work today after falling and tearing my ACL, MCL, meniscus, and fracture in my leg, having surgery, and back in a month and a half. Joey, that doesn't sound good, man. Are you all right? Team, send Joey some love. Send him some prayers for his knee and his torn ACL and MCL. Joey, what'd you do, man? Were you repelling out of of a Blackhawk over the weekend? You got to make sure that harness is on tight, my friend. Be careful out there. Good heavens. Michelle. Shields high, Buck. Sorry I was just being silly with my message. Sometimes you get really silly with your imitations. Those that faithfully listen to you can get silly, too. On a more important subject, I heard that other people in New England are having issues with your show. Where I live, you're not on sometimes for two nights in a row. Uh, I know it sounds crazy, but, you know, see if you can speak faster to get the whole show in. Shields time, Michelle. Um, uh, Michelle, yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. I don't know what, we, you know, we got, there's all this, people are trying out podcasts now on different stations, and there's, there's this whole change in the audio audio landscape that i'm trying to adapt to so yeah that is what i've got going on uh let's see here uh nikki hey buck waiting for my food and listening to your show heard about you miss molly i had no idea i'm so sorry breakups suck but it's always better to know sooner rather than later i'm sure you have the ladies lining up and take a number good luck keep kicking ass and taking names well nikki thank you very much and you know you, you know it's a uh, it's a tough sport out there, dating, finding the one, getting married and all that stuff. It's not an easy thing. I know a lot of you have managed to do it, and God bless and congrats. I'm still working on it. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Uh, Marcella. Hey, Buck, I heard you say yesterday you like opera, especially the genius of Mozart. You surprised me with that. It made me wonder if you've heard of the 25-year-old singer from Kazakhstan. He is, Kazakhstan, named Dimash Kudaibergin. Though classically trained and offered a position with the Astana Opera Company, he prefers the challenges that neoclassical singing offer to his unique abilities. Since you like the Magic Flute Aria, uh, which I have to say, I actually heard this guy sing brilliantly, I think you might like this performance from him in a more pop style. Wow, Marcella, a Kazakh pop singer who does opera. We're really really stretching this a little bit into an interesting place. Um I, I actually I said the Marriage of Figaro, not the Magic Flute. The Magic Flute's not really my jam, but the ma- Marriage of Figaro is pretty amazing. Marriage of Figaro, if you listen to it, should just put you in a good mood. So there you go. It's a great thing. I will say this: if you're looking for something to keep you company on, especially on a rainy night, if you're going to be in cooking or something, just put on one of the great operas and just have it in the background. I don't know. It's it creates a, a, a an atmosphere that just just give it a shot team give it a shot and let me know how how you think that went for went for you um karen writes talking about crowded and nyc is versus dc here's a true story my husband had a business meeting with a with a guy from calcutta in manhattan out on a sidewalk he asked my husband where are all the people well karen i think calcutta probably is a little more crowded on the streets than manhattan but if you get into manhattan in midtown There's a lot of folks running around, whereas in D.C., they are empty streets all over the place. And this is a city. It's a swamp. You got congressmen and congressional staffers and all these people running all over, causing all kinds of problems, doing all kinds of things. Anyway, Karen, thank you uh, for writing in. Good to hear from you. Team, we're going to have an amazing show tomorrow because we have amazing shows every day. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Get psyched for the summer.
2: We're going to Freedom Hunt 2.0 status. Talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.